We're, we're going to do our best here. Uh, we want to make sure that we make plenty of room for ministry time at the end of our sermon. So we're, we're going to do our best, at least I am, to try and be a little bit uh, less long-winded. So pray for me. That will be a miracle. Um, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. As I've been reading and, and praying into this Advent season, and for those of you that don't know what Advent means, it literally just means the arrival or the coming. So this season of Advent or the season of the arrival uh, is the arrival of Jesus, the Savior. But as I, I've been praying about, um, God, what's on your heart? What do you want to say to us in this season? The Lord just highlighted to me all that Joseph and Mary and a lot of other people in the Christmas story, all they actually had to go through, uh, all the partnership they had to do with God in order to bring uh, the birth of Jesus to fruition. Um, in order for Jesus, for God to be made manifest in the world, there was a lot of partnership that went on. And uh, it's true of us as well that we are all, like Mary, carriers of Jesus. As believers, we all have Christ in us, right? We're supposed to anyway. Um, but some of us don't do as good a job as others at manifesting Jesus. And the reality is, is that God has a dream in his heart. And that dream is to transform his world to touch people's lives, and it's a blessing to us personally if we carry Christ, but if we don't ever manifest Him to the world in a way that the world around us can experience and encounter Him and see Him and hear Him, you know, we haven't fully done our job. And so uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of these aspects of what it took not to just carry Christ, but actually to carry him to a manifestation of the world. Because really, if Mary got pregnant and that's all there was and there was never a birth, our world would, would be hopeless. So there has to be a manifestation. Amen? So what we're going to look at is uh, as carriers of Christ, what are some of the things that we need to do to actually bring, uh, let Jesus, allow him to manifest through us. And so we're actually going to be looking at petition today, which was amazing because we were singing these songs and, and the Lord just laid those scriptures on my heart um, about petition, about prayer. And then uh, next week we're going to look at preparation and then paying the price and protecting the promise. So um, in the story of Jesus, we see that God had a dream in his heart. He wanted to unite himself with mankind and reveal his true character and nature to the world. But he needed people willing to partner with him for this dream to become a reality. He was searching and asking, who can I work with? Who can I work with? God still is actually asking those questions of himself because he still wants to reveal himself to the world. And he has committed to partner with people. He's committed to work through people. So he's still asking them himself that question. Who can I partner with? Who will work with me? 
So I just have a couple questions before we dive in. What type of person can God work with? You can think to yourself, there's lots of answers. But it's not just everybody. It could be, potentially, but it's not just everybody. What type of people does God work with? Yeah. Can he work with you? So we need to answer those questions. What type of person can God work with? And am I one of those people? If not, we need, we need to change some things. Who does God usually work with? You don't need to answer this. You can think to yourself, who does God actually usually work with? We'll be answering some of these questions in the, in the coming weeks, but there's a consistent theme we see running through Scripture, an, an intersection of two elements. And On one hand, we see God's dream. We see God's will, His desire. That's revealed in Scripture. On the other hand, we see a person's dream or people's dreams. Uh, their desire is often presented to us in Scripture as a problem that they have. Often presented as a problem. And we see often that God partners with people that have a problem. It's true. We often see problems as a hindrance, something to be avoided at all costs. But our problems can become the very place where God intersects our world and His world, our desires and His desires. And here, very early on in the Christmas story, we see that that's the case. So Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and we're going to read down to verse 13. I don't have the slides for you this morning, so you're going to have to use your Bibles. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. They had two problems. One, they had tried to have kids their whole marriage, and Elizabeth couldn't. She was barren. And not only that, now she's too old to have babies. So she's barren and she's too old. Those are problems if you're trying to have a kid. Now what happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Say, your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So I don't know about you. If you were God and you wanted to bring a John the Baptist type figure into the world, who would you choose? 
I'm going to just like reason it out here, right? Definitely not an old couple. Um, Not an old couple. You'd pick a young couple, right? Because you want to make sure that this couple has enough energy to devote to this child and not ignore him, not go to bed super early, right? They have to have enough energy to take care of this kid, right? So who would vote not an old person? Me. Younger couple, but not too young, right? You don't want them to be inexperienced. And definitely you don't want him to be the first child because everyone knows that you mess up the first child because you have no idea what you're doing as a parent, right? You're just fumbling your way through. You don't know what you're doing. So if I'm God, I don't want John the Baptist screwed up. So not an old couple, but also not a couple that's too young and definitely not first child. You want some parenting experience, right? So you're thinking maybe, okay, maybe a couple late 20s, early 30s, third child. That'd be good. That'd be ideal, right? Uh, Who did God choose? No children. No experience with children. An old couple and barren, right? Never had any kids. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? There's lots of answers, probably. We don't know for sure, but before we hypothesize about that, um, there's an assumption that I think we need to talk about. It may or may not be correct, our assumption, but Zechariah gets chosen to burn incense in the temple, and more than likely, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. There's so many priests and so many divisions of priests and you know, the, the burning of the incense, you're just drawn by lot. It's random chance. And it's usually just once in your life, maybe, if you get lucky. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zechariah to go into the temple and burn incense, either in the morning time or at twilight. They did it twice a day, every day, to burn incense. And when they did that, they went and they were praying for the nation. They weren't praying for personal stuff. So we assume, at least I do, when Gabriel comes and says, hey, your petition has been heard, you think, well, he went into the temple and he's burning incense and he's probably praying to the Lord, saying, God, what about my son? But actually, most scholars would say probably likely not. You wouldn't, in that holy moment, be so selfish and self-centered when you're supposed to be interceding for the nation, asking something personally for yourself. And the fact that it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren and they were old, it's likely that Zechariah gave up on that prayer a long time ago. Likely, a long time ago. So he went into the temple and he's interceding for the nation. He probably wasn't praying that day for a son. He probably gave that dream up a long time ago. But we do know at one time, or at least in a lengthy season of their lives, Zechariah and Elizabeth turned their problem into a petition to God. Because Gabriel comes and says, your petition has been heard. The amazing thing about that is it likely wasn't a petition that came out of Zechariah's mouth, maybe for years. And here comes Gabriel, and he says, your petition has been heard. He might have been thinking, 
what petition? The one I just prayed for Israel? Like, he, he's surprised. But we don't know because Gabriel, you know, just keeps talking. We don't know what was going on. Power. We don't, <laughs> we don't know what was going on in Zechariah's heart. But likely at this point, his prayer for a son was a distant echo. When Gabriel said to Zechariah, your petition has been heard, he probably thought to himself, which one? Surely not the big one. It's been so long. I've asked so many times. Now it's too late. I don't know about you, but there's been prayers in my life that I've prayed a lot. And they really haven't happened that I know of, that I can see, that I have evidence for. And after a while, you just get discouraged. It's hard to keep praying and keeping in faith and believing the same thing over and over and over for a long period of time. And pretty soon you just think it must not be God's will. And you give up on that prayer. But here is Gabriel showing up and saying, Zacharias, God's heard your petition. He heard, and I'm here to answer. It's an amazing thing. To the Lord, we know in Scripture, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So whatever prayers we have ever prayed in the Lord's ears, we prayed them today. We prayed them today. It's just like we prayed them today. So it's no surprise when the Lord says, I've heard your petition. I just heard it today. God doesn't forget. He's heard them. We may have forgotten about them. We may have given up on them, but God hasn't. I felt such a, a grace for petition today. I feel it today. Felt it when I was praying about this a couple weeks ago. That God wants to resurrect some petitions that we've given up on. He wants us to have faith and believe that our voice is actively being heard and every prayer that we have prayed has been heard. And He wants to actually put some new petitions in our heart today. That we would have faith and believe that they're coming before His throne, that He hears them, and that they will make a difference. They will make a difference. Whatever prayers we've prayed, as we read in the book of Revelation, those prayers are still ascending to the throne of God. They're in bowls kept before His presence. Those prayers that you may have given up on praying years ago are still ringing in his ears. He still actively hears them. It's an amazing thing to understand and to know God can still hear them. God is saying to us today, I believe this is a rhema word for today, your petition has been hurt. 
You might think, well, which one? All of them. All of them. They've all been hurt. God is looking down. He's saying, I can fix both of our problems. God wants his will to be done. God wants his kingdom to be manifest. God wants people to know how good he is, how loving he is. But also, he's a God of justice. He hates sin. He loves sinners, but he hates sin because it kills, it steals, it destroys. God wants his will to be done. And he's looking for partners. And his problem is he doesn't have enough. Jesus said, look at the field. It's ripe for harvest. Pray the Lord that he would send workers out into his field. The harvest is ripe, but the workers, the laborers are few. God does not have enough partners that he can work with. That's the reality. He doesn't have as many as he would like. He's looking for new partners this morning. We can see through Scripture, there's so many, <laughs> that we're introduced to somebody's problems, and then all of a sudden we're introduced to God's will maybe later, and you figure out, wow, God is actually partnering with that person's problem or that passion for the Lord's will to be accomplished. He can fix both their problems at once, his own and that other person's. We can look at the life of, of Abraham, right, of Abram. What was God's problem in the life of Abraham? God wanted an obedient family. He wanted a family he could bless the world with. So who did he choose? Choose the guy that didn't have a family, that couldn't have kids. And he said, Abraham, you have a problem and I have a problem. If we covenant and partner together, I can fix them both. It's amazing stuff. Abraham's problem actually qualified him. We get Isaac, and through Isaac we get the promised one, Jesus. During the time of Eli and his sons, Hannah coming to the temple and praying, what was God's problem? He had a corrupt priesthood. He had a corrupt priesthood. Eli was a bad father who didn't discipline his kids, and his sons were wicked and not honoring God. So what was God's problem? He needed a holy priesthood and a prophet. What was Hannah's problem? She couldn't have a kid either. So we're introduced to Hannah crying out to the Lord in the temple. And then we later figure out, oh, God's got a problem too. And the intersection of God's problem and Hannah's problem was Samuel the prophet who raised up Saul and later David. Gideon, what was Gideon's problem? Everyone says he's afraid. I, I don't personally believe that. But what did Gideon want? Where is the God that did all these miracles that we hear about, that parted the Red Sea? Where are the miracles? 
We're slaves here. What is going on? Something's not right. Gideon wanted freedom. What did God need at that time? A freedom fighter, right? A freedom fighter. Gideon wanted freedom. God needed a freedom fighter. Intersection of God's problem and man's problem. Moses killed an Egyptian soldier that was abusing the Jewish people. What did Moses want? He wanted justice. What did God want at that time? Freedom for his people. Moses had a problem and a passion, right? Because often our problems turn into passions. And God can use our passions if we'll partner with him and turn our problems and passions into petitions. God wanted justice. God wanted his people free. And they partnered together. Problems only disqualify us when they stay as complaints. But problems that turn into petitions, however, often become the very place where God partners with us to bring promise. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture. And here we are introduced again to a couple where God says, you have a problem, I have a need. I need a son who will go before my son. And you need a son. Let's work together. I think one of the reasons God does this as well is we treasure what we have to fight for. I don't know about you parents when you just give your kids like an allowance that they don't really work for or they get a birthday money, it just came to them super easy. Like they can spend birthday money in the blink of an eye, right? Like it's nothing. But if they had to mow lawns for it or they had to work really hard to get that money, that money doesn't leave their pocket as quickly or as easily as something that they worked for, right? Because it's more valuable to them. Because I had to work for this. It's a treasure to me. God doesn't create problems. But if we'll let our problems turn into petitions, they become very valuable to us. And we will safeguard them and treasure them. So no, God didn't want a 20-something, you know, parent's third kid. He wanted to give a son to a couple they would treat him as treasure. But they had to be willing to partner. They had to be willing to partner. 1 Corinthians 27 to 29 says this. God still works this way today, right now, today. I want you to listen to the qualifications of partnering with God, of working with God. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Are you foolish? You qualify. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Do you feel weak? You qualify. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not. Even things that don't exist. Things that are not. Like Mary. Uh, having a baby is a problem. I don't have a husband. <laughs> Things that are not. 1 Corinthians 1.27. 
I'm actually in 28 now. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Do you have lack? Congratulations. You qualify to partner with God if your lack becomes a petition and not just a complaint. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God uses our weakness, uses our problems, uses our frailty, uses those places that we say, I can't do this. I don't have this. I can't make it happen. It's not, I can't change it. Those are the places that he'll use so that we will know and the world will know it wasn't our wisdom. It wasn't our strength. It wasn't our cunning. It wasn't our, you know, business plan. It wasn't our whatever. It was God. It was God. If you think God still can't use you and your problems, I just want to remind you very quickly of these things. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer with a stutter. Gideon was afraid, maybe. Samson was a flirt. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran away from God. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. <laughs> Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep while praying. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Elizabeth was too old. Mary was a virgin. Lazarus was dead. We don't have a problem. <laughs> Unless it doesn't turn into a petition. But if we have a petition, we can be guaranteed God hears us. And they will make a difference. Matthew 11. Sorry, Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Many of us were out shopping on Friday, maybe shopping yesterday, looking for good gifts for people that we love. Isn't God much more generous than us? Isn't he much more loving and good than us? He wants to give us, right now, good gifts. He always wants to give us good gifts. So, there's grace this morning for petition and partnership. If you maybe recognize, wow, I've just been doing a lot of complaining and not much petitioning, then change that. If you realize maybe you're not the kind of partner that is working with God, change that. But there's grace this morning for petition. One, to resurrect old petitions that we have abandoned and forgotten about and said like Zacharias, it's too late. But there's also grace for new petitions. But as we pray, I want us all to pray 
knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God hears us, that He's listening, and that our prayers will make a difference. Amen? I have two cans up here, and we're actually going to leave these up here. Um, this is called the God can. This is the God can can, because we're going to put our petitions in there. And so those petitions are God can do this. And then here's another can. That is our praise report can, and it says God did. God can, God did. And my heart is that uh, we would so fill up that can that it would be absolutely overflowing. We're always going to have petitions. We're always going to have problems. So it's okay to have things in the God can can. But um, I want you to write these in such a way that uh, anybody at any time could come and pick these up and intercede on your behalf. So if you have an issue that is exposing someone else's sin, uh, please don't call them out on your prayer card because these could be open for anyone to pick up and read and intercede. Okay? So if you need to keep it anonymous, don't put your name on it. Don't put someone else's name on it. Put your initials. Put whatever. I don't know. Okay? But these are going to stay open because during healing rooms, we can pray for this. During women's prayer and Bible study, we can pray for this. For men's prayer Friday morning, we can pray for this. For our men's breakfast on Saturdays, we can pray for this. During service, during worship, if you feel led, you can go grab some cards and intercede for people in this room. It's a bowl, and that's a bowl. Our prayers are kept in a bowl in heaven. Whatever we put in that lives in heaven and ascends to the throne. God hears and he sees and it touches him and it matters. It makes a difference. So can I get the worship team back up here? Um, I can't. You, I'll let you pick whatever song is appropriate. I can't even think of the song now, but it was good. I'm going to leave some pens up here. And I have some index cards. Can, would you mind opening that for me? We're just going to put some piles of pens and some index cards. And as the worship team sings, I, I just want, I want to petition the Lord. I want to encourage you, write down a prayer, or two or three or four or five. Maybe a new petition. But ask the Lord, ask the Lord, is this okay to ask for Jesus? Is this okay to ask for? Make sure your prayer is legal, first of all. But two, ask Him for a new petition. Ask Him for a new fire. Ask Him for a new vision, a new hope. I know there are new prayers that God wants to put in our hearts that he's going to answer for us so it's okay if you want to take your time but if you guys would 
Come and grab a card. You can write them up here on the stage if you want. But I want to encourage you to spend some time after you write it down. Don't just put it in the can straight away. Spend some time petitioning the Lord. Ask Him for these things that you've written down. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God.
writing these down just like a good good father and my child does not have to ask me twice for something that she wants I hear her the first time so when you write it down and you put it in the bucket you have to ask him once and then you thank him that he's doing it that he's already done it even when you can't see it he's working he's working it out just like just like Daniel needed needed help needed help and then finally my Michael the archangel came and he said I was fighting on your behalf and you didn't know Daniel didn't know we don't know that God is fighting on our behalf and that's what he's doing so when you put it in the bucket you lay it at the altar and you trust God that he's going to fight on your behalf that he's going to answer your prayers that he's going to answer your prayers lift up our petitions to you. We thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you that you've opened your ears to hear us. You've opened your heart to be moved by us, Lord. And God, so many of our petitions, so many of our problems, Lord, we know you can fix them all. You know, we know that you can answer them all. God, we yield ourselves to you. 
as we give you these petitions, we give you our lives afresh and anew. God, we want to be people that you can partner with. Make us into those people, Lord, even more, even more, even more, even more. thank you that today there's going to be a shift in our asking there's going to be a shift in our believing and that we're going to see sudden and quick answers to these petitions thank you Lord that we will be able to move these prayers from this bucket to that that they would become praise to you. That they would become testimonies of your goodness and your power and your wisdom and your creativity. Testimonies of how personal you are to us. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Draw us into more prayer, deeper prayer, more faith-filled prayer. Thank you for the difference that these prayers are making and will make. We thank you, Lord that in Jesus Christ all the promises of God are yes and they're amen. So Lord, we thank you for the yes. We thank you for the yes. <laughs> and we thank you for the let it be. Let it be so. We love you, Lord. There's no one like you. I bless your beloved sons and daughters in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.